You know, when you're going through something, it manifests itself in different ways. And for me, it really took a toll on my body. I developed severe IBS. And like when I say like severe, it was really bad. And I went to see a couple GI specialists and they basically were like, you know what? Like you just have IBS. There's nothing really formally that we can do about it. You're just going to kind of have to live this way. So it felt like I, my needs weren't kind of being heard. And it felt um, like really hard um, knowing that I was so young. And this is kind of the life that was being led before me. And so I decided to kind of take my health into my own hands. And I cannot believe the difference it made. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Roswell, New Mexico, Lafayette, Louisiana, and Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 43 of season 6, number 439 overall. Imagine losing your first love to cancer at a young age. And shortly after that, you then lose your health. You begin losing your zest for life. And as your health deteriorates, IBS begins to set in. You get this mental anguish. You're barely in your 20s. You could give up, but you choose not to. Hannah Sundarani chose not to. She wanted things to change. And that change began when she took her health into her own hands. Hannah is the founder of Two Spoons, and she is now living her best life and helping others find a way out of that same darkness. Because with IBS, you may feel alone. Hannah may have felt alone, but the fact of the matter is nobody in that position is. The American College of Gastroenterology estimates that as many as 15% of Americans have IBS. And the rates are even higher in Canada where Hannah is from. Nearly 20% of Canadians are affected according to some estimates. And from everyone that I've spoken to and from this conversation today, you will hear that people are desperate for help. They're desperate for help. And yet they're also told that really, you're just going to have to live with it. But you know how we do here on the show. That answer just is not going to fly. And it certainly did not get off the ground with Hannah here. So what she did was use her own experience her own journey back to health to create this incredible community and whip up these healing recipes that she shared. And so many people related to her story. And so Two Spoons, Two Spoons, her brand, it just exploded onto the scene with her blog and then cookbook and then app, of course, the website and her courses and now a YouTube channel. There is an unquenchable appetite for health. And so I am so thrilled that Hannah is here with us to share some time today. 
and a really fun and cool conversation as well. We get into, of course, her story, but then tips for everyone about marrying flavors together in the kitchen and figuring out what's missing from that dish. You know, when it's almost done and there's just that one thing that's missing, but you can't just quite put your finger on what that is. Well, what she does is she's kind of like the Sherlock Holmes of the kitchen. She goes in there, she investigates, and she's going to clue us in on how to figure out what that missing flavor is. Also going to be touching on peaches. Apparently, I had no idea this was the case, but apparently Ontario has some really banging peaches growing there. I had no idea. Also going to be getting into her favorite breakfast foods and a lot more. Strap in because this is a healthy ride with an amazing woman. Here now, the conversation with Hannah Sundarani on The Exam Room. Thank you so very much for being here. It is truly an honor to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, Chuck, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we hit the magic record button and I was saying it is a miracle kind of that you have never been on the show before. Like, I just don't know how this has not <laughs> happened until today. I know. And I'm really upset that we didn't get to meet last weekend either. For those who are listening, it was Planet Expo in Toronto and I was there for such a short period of time and I was, you were one of my top that I wanted to see. So I was sad that I missed you, but here we are now. You're so sweet. Um, I, I loved that event, though. I think that Stephen and the Planted team just do a phenomenal job. And, you know, it blows my mind to be, you know, in this group of speakers that includes you and Michael Greger, Carly Bodrug, uh, Matt Nagra, you know, all of these just extraordinary individuals is just mind blowing to me. Are you still kind of like in this pinch me environment? Like, is this life right now? That's such a funny question because, um, I feel it feels really strange to me that people would want to come to a show to see me. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? Like, I'm just like, I feel like I'm an everyday person just like sharing my recipes. But I guess like it's at the end of the day, like people are loving my recipes. And so I guess I'm doing something right. So I, I guess it is really a pinch me moment. I think there's been a kind of a few um, channels in my life where I've had this moment, like, oh, wow, I can't believe like, I, this is happening where I used to look at other bloggers and kind of see them coming out with cookbooks or doing these things that was always kind of a dream come true. So yeah, being a speaker at Planet Expo is definitely one of those pinch me moments. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool though, because I think we all kind of feel that same way. It's like, I, I started, you know, for my own health or for whatever the yeah. reason was, and I'm just an ordinary human being, but it's, it's so gratifying to me to know that other people like parts of my story are resonating with people and inspiring people and then helping people like that's the biggest part is like helping people along their own journey. And I always say that getting an email or having a conversation with somebody who shares their own journey with me is way more rewarding than any paycheck that I'll ever receive. Do you remember, before we get into the fun stuff, the food, yeah. like, do, do you remember the first time somebody came up to you and shared the impact that you have had on their life? I mean, yeah, I, I feel like when it happened, when those kind of stories come up, it feels the same now than it did that it did the first time it happened. Um, 
I think you're right. The best kind of stories is when someone can take your own personal story and it's relatable. Like they've been through something that's really similar. And I think a lot of the times when we're struggling, like I really struggled with IBS and we can get into the history of how I went plant-based because of my IBS. But when I share that story and people come up to me and say like, Hey, me too, it feels a lot less isolating. And I think that when we're going through these struggles, the biggest, the biggest part of feeling that struggle and kind of going through it is that it does feel really isolating. You feel like you're the only person going through it. Um, So to hear other people who have been through a similar experience and kind of come out the other side, um, it feels really hopeful. Um, So I love when people come up to me and tell me about their experience from a health perspective and how like turning plant-based kind of really changed the game for them. Um, Another thing as well is like, I really struggle with infertility. And so I get a lot of messages on Instagram of people who are struggling to um, have a family and make a family. And um, it's always really, nice that they feel that they can reach out to me because um, I'm someone who can understand what they're going through and, and kind of provide that side. So it is pretty cool. It is. I mean, I, it's just that connection and that hope yeah. with the drizzle of inspiration. Like it, it's just kind of a, a magic thing to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And I'm really, I'm so thrilled that you're having those types of experiences um, so let's let's get into your journey. The first time here yeah. on the exam room, uh, obviously, Two Spoons is just this huge <laughs> blog with the app, now YouTube, the cookbook. I mean, talk to us, though, about the origins of this, because just like so many of the individuals who come up to us, I mean, you have your own deeply, deeply personal story that brought you to this. What is your plant-based journey? Yeah. So, okay. So let's work backwards. Um, We'll start from as beginning (laughs) as I can. Um, I'll say that my journey to plant-based eating, um, it wasn't like an overnight thing. It wasn't like black and white where like one day I was like, I'm going to be vegan tomorrow. That wasn't the case for me. Um, It's, I would say that it kind of started in my early twenties. So I was in university and I'd actually just lost my boyfriend at the time to cancer. He'd passed away. Um, and he was like my first boyfriend, my first love. And it was obviously a really tragic loss. Um, so I was really struggling with that. And I feel that, you know, when you're going through something, um, like some kind like hardships and kind of grief, um, it manifests itself in different ways. And for me, it really took a toll on my body. Um, I developed severe IBS. And like, when I say like severe, it was really bad. (laughs) Like I couldn't sit through a one hour lecture. I felt like I couldn't even leave my house. Um, it was definitely affecting my quality of life. And I went to see a couple GI specialists and they basically were like, you know what, like you just, have IBS, like there's nothing, there's no real, um, nothing really formally that we can do about it. Um, you're just going to kind of have to live this way and like here, like take some pills and (laughs) it'll help regulate your bowels and let's be done with it. So that was, um, it felt really, um, it felt like I, my needs weren't kind of being heard and it felt, um, like really hard, um, knowing that I was so young and this is kind of like the life that was kind of like being led, um, before me. And so I decided to kind of take my health into my own hands. Um, I talked to a couple friends who had done an elimination diet. So I started there. I eliminated, um, dairy, which was a huge one. That was a huge kind of revolution and turn into like the plant-based world. I also gave up caffeine, refined sugars, gluten, 
So it was a pretty strict diet. But what it did is it really shifted the way that I was eating and kind of opened up this whole plant world to me that I'd never cooked uh, before. And that's kind of where I really started dabbling in kind of this vegan sphere, eating in a vegan way. And I cannot believe the difference it made. Like literally within a week, it was like, a 180 shift and it did take some time for me to kind of fully get back but that difference in me being able to like sit through class like go out with my friends like not be so afraid and have so much anxiety about my IBS was a a very big shift Um, and I would say that was kind of the introduction into the plant-based world for me. That's a lot for somebody that age. I mean, to go through such a tragic loss and then to have your health just go in the tank. Yeah. How did you cope with everything? I mean, it was definitely hard, I think. And like what I was saying, I think grief really does manifest itself in different ways. And for me, I was so young at the time and I'm like trying to get through school. Like I'm trying to pass my exams and I'm trying to just kind of live a normal life with everything that's like so not normal going on around me. And so um, I think a lot of that grief, I just kind of put to the side because I was like, okay, like I can't, like, I can't focus on that right now. Like I got to go to class. Like I got to, and the grief doesn't allow you to do that. (laughs) It doesn't just allow you to put it on the side. And so for me, I think that that's really where it took a toll on my body. Um, And it really kind of took over and it was like, no, you need to like deal with this. Um, And so um, I think really that's kind of how my IBS really began. Um, Yeah, it was really, it was a really tough time. (laughs) I mean, I, I would imagine so, but I mean, you came out the other side. I mean, so resilient. But if I were to put myself in that position, early 20s at this point, I'm assuming for you, Mm -hmm. like that, that's like big time scary stuff that most of us as an adult won't have to face until years down the line that that Mm -hmm. big sense of loss with a partner. And here you are trying to navigate those waters in your early 20s and then getting sick yourself. I'm wondering how this really kind of reshaped your outlook on life, because clearly already life was not going as you envisioned. Chuck, I love these questions because I feel like they are so thoughtful and no one has ever really kind of framed it that way. But when I kind of think about where I've kind of gone with two spoons, I think a lot of it even does have to do with um, what I went through in my early 20s and knowing that, you know, like things can change at the drop of a dime. And, um, and I think it was almost like a, not like a push, but kind of a reshifting and reframing of you, you really only have one life and you don't know how long it is. And, and my love and joy and passion for cooking is something that I want to share with the world and I want to do for the rest of my life. And I think maybe it kind of gave me that um, push to really do it because our time here is so limited and we never know what's going to happen. So when I kind of think of the trajectory of two spoons, I think a lot of it has to do with that loss and knowing that like we do only have one life to live and like we have to make the most of it because we never know what tomorrow brings. 
I love that outlook. I absolutely love that outlook. And I think that that's a message that if somebody is watching this right now or listening to it and they are just in the doldrums of life needs to to listen to as well. It's like, what do you want to make of these few years that we have on this earth, right? What, yeah. what do you want to do? You obviously mm -hmm. can choose to sulk and that is your right. And that is completely 100% understandable. But the way that I also would envision that is look, that's still not the life that you probably want. And it's certainly not the life that you deserve. Everybody deserves happiness. And so to hear you talk about the way that you were able to pull yourself out of that, I think, and, and you just faced challenges that are way harder than most of us, you know, will have to face for decades. I think that, you know, that really speaks volumes about who you are as a, as a person, but then more importantly, what anybody else, you know, can, can take and interpret and put into practice for themselves. I think that beyond just your amazing recipes, you're an amazing human being and really just this, this beacon of light and um, role model for somebody who's really just in the thick of of the dark deep nonsense that life can throw at us sometimes that's really really kind of you to say check it i feel like you're gonna make me cry <laughs> it's really so kind that's not the intention that's not the intention that's not, not, this type of podcast. <laughs> not not trying to get the waterworks going here today i i, I just want to put smiles on our face so why don't we talk about food how about that all right sure, let's do it <laughs> all right inspirational recipes now my goodness all right um so here's also the cool part of your story is that you are not a super class classically trained chef. You're not a Michelin trained chef. You didn't mm -hmm. go to Johnson and Wales or La Cordon Bleu or anything like that. You are just like trial and error type of person in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But have you always had this passion for cooking? Yes. Well, okay. So I wouldn't say passion for cooking, but definitely a passion for food. I have always loved food my entire life. I've always loved eating well. I've always liked to sit down and enjoy my meal as like a moment of my day to like get away from stuff. Um, I think my cooking really kind of unfolded when I was going through IBS and like learning new ways to cook because no one had ever kind of cooked for me like that. And so if I wanted to eat that way, I had to learn to cook it. And then that's where my kind of love for cooking unraveled. Um, but I actually kind of love that about myself that I'm not like a trained cook, because I think it really proves that like, we can all eat really well, um, and really delicious and make these like, delicious meals without any training. I think that when we think about eating, especially like French food, um, because my cookbook is based on like plant based, uh, French inspired food. Um, we think like, oh, well, I couldn't eat like a bourguignon or like I couldn't eat, you know, these like fancy dishes because I don't have a French training background, but we don't need it. Like you just need to have a love for it. Um, and so um, I really kind of like that I never had that training because I think that I'm a good example that if I can make this at home, like so can you. Uh, yep. Yeah, I, I love that. It's like, <laughs> you, I think you even say on the blog, like if I can do this, anybody can yeah, do this. Truly. You know, I truly it, believe that. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. You said something that really made my mind just explode a second ago. You were talking about the passion for eating or the passion for food versus mm -hmm. the passion for cooking. Mm -hmm. most of us in today's day and age are like, man, I really love food. I love yeah. a really delicious meal, but 
don't ask me to make it because that's just too much time and effort and energy. And I know, you know, for you, there was a lot that went into it, but how does the average person in your estimation really transform that passion for eating into mm -hmm. like that passion for preparing that meal yeah. as well? Oh my gosh. Such a good question. So I can totally relate to that feeling because when I first started cooking, I felt like chopping a squash was like the most annoying thing. Like it has so many curves. <laughs> I was like, it is not a straight cut. It is so annoying. I have to scoop out seeds. Like things are like falling everywhere. It's also really hard to cut. Like you have to be pretty strong or have a really strong knife. And it drove me crazy. So I can totally understand that feeling of it being so daunting, especially the like the chopping of vegetables. Like I totally get it. But I think that there's something that happens when you really start to enjoy cooking where these things are almost like a release from life. Like there's nothing else that you can do in that moment, but just like be chopping vegetables and like just being with your mind and just going through the process. And I think that we live in like this life where everything is given to us in an instantaneous moment. Like we put an order on Amazon and it's there the next day. <laughs> and I think that we're kind of forgetting that like things take time to evolve and like they take like it takes a little bit of create creativity and it takes a little bit of time. But at the end, you've got like this beautiful reward. And I think it was seeing the satisfaction at the end, like putting down a plate that was just so interesting, like this dish and everyone loved it. And it has so much flavor and knowing that none of that could have happened without all that process that happens in between and really kind of learning how to enjoy the process. And I would say that it wasn't an overnight thing for me, but now I think one of my favorite parts of cooking is chopping vegetables. Like it's one of my favorite things to do during the day is like, just like be in my kitchen with no one around. And I just get to chop vegetables. <laughs> hey, look, whatever floats your boat, whatever floats yeah. your boat. And it's funny because I was I was just going to ask whether all of this came naturally to you. You were some sort of a culinary whiz kid, a prodigy in there, or if it did take time and you know how you kind of, you know, had patience with yourself. Yeah, I think that it was a bit like, so I've, I've, def I've definitely think I have a knack for flavor. Um, I don't think I would be who I am today without having that. Um, I love experimenting with flavors. And I think I just have a natural knowing of like, oh, I think that like coriander would be like really good in this or like, let's add like a little bit of cumin or I, I feel like I know when something's missing and what needs to go into it. But the monotonous tasks of things like chopping, um, that was something that was kind of learned over time. And one thing that I think was so great in that learning was like when I was living in France, um, I would get my groceries from the market. So I would go down like they like markets are so popular farmers markets. They're all year round. There's literally a market open every day. So I would go and get the vegetables. I would be speaking to the vendors. I would be learning so much. They would be, they would be telling me how to chop cook and what to do with the vegetables I was buying. So when I was doing it, I was thinking back of the back to the story of, you know, how I came about with this squash or what whatever it was that I was cooking, like say it was fennel and that conversation that I had had with the vendor. And so it's almost like it started building a story in my brain. So I think like if it's something that, you know, you find it really daunting, try and make it something fun, like grab your vegetables from the market or even try growing them in your backyard or whatever it is that's going to kind of make that task more interesting for you so that you can kind of look back and it, you've got the story built out of it. 
It's funny because you talk about growing vegetables and, and telling stories. I know that that's one of the tricks that a lot of plant-based parents have told me makes a world of difference in getting yeah. their kids interested in eating vegetables and even helping out in the kitchen. It's because the kid grew something, you know, yeah. from the earth themselves, and they really have thrown themselves. They put everything into growing that corn 100%. or that squash to get them jazzed up as an adult though. You know, do you get that same satisfaction? I don't know if you have a little mini garden where you are or you, you whatever the case may be, but do you think adults yeah. can really have that same type of, oh, wow, experience? Uh, I 100% do. I think that we live, so when I was living in France, the culture there is so, like, they are so intertwined with the farmers, like, as I said, farmers markets are everywhere. They're every day. And so it's definitely going to be harder for like people who are living in North America and living in Toronto and things like that. Um, it's not as a part of our culture. But when we moved back from France, it was something that I really wanted to continue doing in my everyday life because it had had such a profound impact on how I had kind of felt about cooking and my approach to it. And so I ended up joining a farm share here. Um, every Thursday, I go and pick up my farm box. I talk to the farmer. Her name is Liz. Um, she is so well-educated, so well-versed in what she does. Um, we chat again about how to cook it, um, what to do with it. We talk about its beautiful colors. I go to the farm sometimes to pick it up directly. So um, you get like a beautiful view of her actual farmer's field. Um, I also will drop by farms that are close by to get fresh veg. Um, and then I started growing my herbs in my backyard. So um, that's something that like, because I'm not like the best gardener, I was like, you know what, I'm going to start with herb garden and we can go from there. So it's just like these little steps. And it's definitely something that you kind of have to, you know, um, put effort into living in North America. It's not just as like um, available, but there are options out there if you kind of are open to giving it a try. Shout out Farmer Liz. All right. <laughs> Farmer Liz is doing good work there. Yes. Joyfully organic. Go check her out. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what are like when you go and you pick up your box, right? Like what vegetables excite you the most? Is there something that you love more than anything else? You mentioned squash earlier. Is that mm -hmm. your vegetable of choice? I do love squash. I, I love all vegetables. I feel like I can't <laughs> pick one. <laughs> and it depends on the time of year, like tomato season. Like, I feel like I look forward to it every year. And it's whenever summer comes, I'm like, I'm so excited for tomato season. But it's actually not until like the end of summer, early fall. So I have to wait like the whole summer until like tomatoes are actually tasty. And I'm like, yes, this is the moment I've been waiting for. But I feel like um, when you're eating what's in season, then there's so much that that vegetable can offer you in terms of taste and flavor. And I think that would be kind of my biggest recommendation to people who are like looking to experience, uh, experiment with more plants in their kitchen is to go to a farmer's market and see what's fresh and what's in season. Because I know like living in France, there were a lot of vegetables that I wasn't eating before, like endive and fennel, radish, like all these things that, you know, it's not as common in North America. Like I feel like we kind of stick to like our broccoli and our spinach and our kale, um, a funny story when I first moved to France is like, I was obsessed with kale. I think like all North Americans, I was like, kale salad was my thing. And I remember going to the market and being like, do you have kale? Do you have kale? And no one had kale because kale was not in season. <laughs> so I had to like settle on like a different spinach and it was called lamb's lettuce. They call it mat 
lunch uh, in France, in France and is lamb's lettuce. And it was so good. And I had never had lamb's lettuce before. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's all these different kind of lettuces that I've never tried. Like I haven't had endive, I haven't had radicchio, like unless it's in a spring mix, but like on its own. And I was like, these are all so amazing. Like, why are we all so obsessed with kale? <laughs> lamb's lettuce i've never heard of lamb's, yeah, lamb's lettuce before if you can it's really hard to find here but if you can get your hands on lamb's lettuce or next time you go to france make sure that you get it's called match m-a-c-h-e it is like buttery sweet like so 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 good it's, i'm obsessed <laughs> you know i have never been to france and i would love to get an excuse to go so you let oh me gosh, know the next time go. Going. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have to go we have to do like some kind of like trip there with all like the vegan booties <laughs> deal because yeah, yeah i'm definitely going to need your your french expertise there for sure <laughs> uh for language and for culinary reasons um I want to go back to something that you had mentioned a little bit earlier, and you were talking about you have this kind of natural ability to pair flavors together. One mm -hmm. of the things about cooking that I think can frustrate a lot of people is like you get to the end of the recipe, you yeah. taste it, and you're like, there's something missing, but I just yeah. can't put my finger on it. Like yeah. how, what is your process for identifying what that something is that's missing? Okay. Well, first of all, I'll say that if you cook my recipes, you won't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> well played. So well that's played. <laughs> um, I really am always kind of thinking about that final taste. Um, and so yes, try out my recipes. And then if you're having that problem, let me know, but I don't think you'll have that problem. Um, and my second tip is salt. So I think that a lot of the times we think of salt as the enemy, but if you're using good salt, like, you know, like a sea salt, a pink Himalayan salt, these are salts that are really good for you. Um, <clears throat> they are actually like, if you have low blood pressure, which I have, you actually need like more salt than the average person. Um, it's a really good electrolyte, but like, anyways, a, a bit away from the health perspective, salt is a flavor enhancer. And so I think a lot of the times people are adding in the spice and they're cutting back on the salt, thinking that they're doing the right thing, but then their food is coming out bland. And the reason is because salt enhances flavor. So don't be afraid of salt, just use the right salt. There you go. Right. Yeah. And and <laughs> don't use too much of it, I would assume. I mean, that's that's also, I mean, from one extreme to the other, salt can make a flavor pop. But man, you know, if you're not used to having a ton of it in your diet, it can also like really, really change the recipe. Um, yeah. Also, going back to, uh, you know, you I love the fact that you like to eat super fresh and then mm. you, you know, but then also tomatoes are available year round. I'm just mm. curious for those who have never had an ultra fresh from the farm tomato, how does uh -huh. the flavor of that compare to something that they could go to the grocery store right now and purchase? I mean, it's just a totally different thing. Like I feel like when you're getting out of season things like tomato, for example, it's just, it's going to be more watery in taste. It's not going to have that like really bright, fresh taste. I think anyone can understand that. Like if you like, let's take a peach, for example, like 
Niagara has amazing peaches. Ontario is known for having amazing peaches. So I think a lot of us have had really good peaches. And that's usually around end of like summer, like we're thinking August. They're so juicy. They're so fresh. They're so sweet. They're so flavorful. If we tried to get a peach right now, like we're in April, we're looking at last season's peaches. Like they're just not going to be as tasty. So I think a lot of us are just not eating peaches right now. And so like we kind of, it's the same thing for vegetables. Like um, it's kind of better to eat the vegetables that are in season. Um, right now that would be more like winter vegetables, like squashes and stuff like that. Like we are coming into summer now and spring. So like leeks are going to be coming out. Um, so kind of like finding those vegetables that are of the season, is just going to, it's going to enhance flavor, which is what we talked about before. Um, and you're just going to have a tastier dish and you're probably going to like the fruit or vegetable a lot more than you thought you did. Like, I think a lot of people don't like tomatoes and it's probably because they've eaten ones that are not in season. And so they kind of are grainy and they're kind of watery and like, they're just not very nice, but um, they might change their thoughts if they had one that was in season. So you said something here that just, <laughs> it got the, the American in me just kind of fired up. You're, you're, you're touting these Ontario peaches and yeah. we have Georgia peaches that are oh, absolutely yeah. They're so epic. Good. <laughs> have yeah. you had a, a fresh Georgia peach? Yes. It will change your life. It's so good. So I yeah. actually went to Georgia with my husband this was a long time ago, like probably like seven years ago we were still dating at the time and we had fresh peaches there and they sell them on the side of the road which is so fun yeah. like <laughs> every time we were driving by i was like we have to stop we have to stop for the peaches mm -hmm. they're so good yeah, <laughs> yeah those roadside very, very fruit stands man like yeah. the roadside fruit and vegetable stands the nine best. times out of ten have the best produce because a yeah. lot of times there's not a full-blown farmer's market so what yeah. these farmers do so they're like yeah this looks like a good place to sell some yeah. stuff and they just open up the bed of their yeah. truck and go to town. And totally. it is absolutely amazing stuff. Best. For anyone amazing. listening, if you ever see someone selling peaches on the side of the road, stop your car and go buy one. <laughs> right. Especially if you're in Georgia. No doubt about yeah, it. Same exactly. thing with oranges in Florida. Absolutely have oh, to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah. So good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you guys have really great produce there. And I think um, I think you're luckier from the standpoint that you have um, – like where America is situated, you have a, like hotter climates and cooler climates. So you kind of get the best of both. I found it was the same in France. Like they've got like the South of France, Nice, and then the North, which is cold. That's where we were, which is a little bit colder. So you get this great variety within the same country. I feel with Canada, it's a little bit more difficult because we all already are so far North that, you know, it's, it's harder for us to find those, you know, those really, really great summer, warm climate uh, foods. Yeah. It's uh, our kind of, I guess, pseudo colleague, Dr. Matthew Nagra. I was like, I really like Canada, man. And I, I really want to spend more time there, but I'm, I'm just like, it's so daggone cold. It's like my That's dream so someday is to move to Florida. <laughs> He's like, well, you should try Victoria. Victoria is pretty mild. He's like, you know, it's got beach weather there. Uh, you're a well-traveled individual. Um, I mean, is, <laughs> is it the same I, thing? It is not the same thing. <laughs> thank I you. Mean, Victoria is 
is beautiful. It's uh, and like the, uh, the landscape in Canada is so gorgeous. Yes. Like it's, uh, it, I feel like it's incomparable to many many places. But it's definitely on the colder side. Like you're still looking at cold winters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't. I'm, I'm yeah. telling you, Hannah. I did not know cold until I lost weight, and now oh God, I know yeah. cold. Holy <laughs> yeah. cow! Like I, I went to a, a Jays game when I was in Toronto, and I had to buy a sweatshirt in a dome stadium <laughs> and i was like what is yeah. happening right now like, yeah it doesn't surprise me at all yeah yeah it's 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 may and why why do i need a sweatshirt this should not be happening that said <laughs> the people absolutely lovely i absolutely love 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 canada oh, um that's so nice but let's talk about breakfast really quickly um okay. i think that you know this is something that we we haven't talked a whole heap about on the exam room so i want to wrap up with this i want to mm -hmm. talk to you about breakfast we've been talking about all of these amazing fruits and that is like my absolute favorite time of day to eat fruit mm -hmm. is with breakfast so mm -hmm. what are some of your favorite i hate to throw such a softball question at you but what are some of your favorite quick and easy go-to breakfast recipes that you have up on two spoons yeah so i feel like for me i feel like fruit is actually really easy for me to eat because it feels like a really um quick like grab and go snack like i can just like kind of grab an apple or grab a banana um and i can snack on it like later in the day um so i feel like with breakfast i try and incorporate more vegetables into my diet because um it's just a way to kind of get in more greens one of my favorite things to make is like a green smoothie um i also love doing like a tofu scrambled egg with some like vegetables in there like spinach um a little bit of red pepper and onion um it's really delicious even like a side of potatoes is really good and nice and filling um but then like i feel like breakfast is kind of where like two spoons kind of got recognized i think i was really kind of known for my breakfast recipes in the beginning and a lot of people kind of got to my website through my breakfast so i love doing these kind of like gluten-free healthy breakfast like kind of spins on things so i've got like a quinoa porridge which is really really popular on my blog um it tran it takes away the oats and then adds in quinoa and we do it in like a coconut milk base and it's just like so so delicious um i also made a similar version of it for my cookbook because it was such a popular recipe that um i did kind of like a little exclusive one for my cookbook um i also love like a chia pudding um you can add fresh berries to that and another thing that's really great about chia pudding is it acts as a really great base but then depending on the time of year you can change up the fruits and so it always feels different like it never feels like static and you're eating the same dish so like in the summer you can do berries but in the winter you can do like persimmon um which is really nice even like orange like those orange citrus fruits are so good with chia pudding and i think people would often overlook that but it's a really really good flavor palette with the creaminess and the citrus um yeah i feel like that would kind of be an introduction to some of my breakfast recipes. I also have things for like how to make coconut yogurt. If that's something that you kind of want to experiment in the kitchen, which is kind of fun. Um, coconut yogurt is more widely available now. Um, but this was a recipe that I kind of developed when it was still kind of hard to find. And I had a lot of fun experimenting with it. Um, and yeah, that's kind of a little introduction. <laughs> no, I mean, those are, those are all great options. I'm particularly uh, curious about the, the quinoa porridge. I did not know that there was such a thing uh, the only yeah. porridge i know of is the traditional oh, type of porridge yeah. 
how does yeah. the you know flavor vary between that and your traditional offerings? I actually love a quinoa porridge because I feel like the grain itself has a beautiful nuttiness to it. And it's all almost kind of got like a beautiful little crunch. Um, I think a lot of the times when we're thinking of oatmeal, we're kind of adding in like the almonds and stuff to like and the granola to make the crunch. Um, but with a quinoa porridge, it's kind of already in there. And then using the, um, the coconut milk adds this really beautiful creamy consistency. I like throwing in, um, some cinnamon into the mix. Um, it's just, it's a really, really great dish. It, I would highly re recommend trying it if you haven't. And it was one of the dishes when I was doing my elimination diet, like back in my early twenties, quinoa porridge was one of the dishes that I made all the time. And I did a lot of experimenting back then with it because I wasn't eating any else all right now i know that there's exam roomies right now who are watching this they're like yeah miss two spoons but who's <laughs> got all that time to spend in the kitchen how long does it take to whip that up oh my gosh quinoa por porridge is so easy like i think quinoa takes like 10 to 12 minutes in total to cook so it's really not that different especially if you're used to making steel cut oats like that takes like 25 minutes um you could also do it in your um your pressure cooker like an instant pot which will like make the time, like cut the time in half. So, um, and another thing that I always like to do for people who feel like they don't have enough time in the kitchen is you can like quinoa is such a great dish or ingredient that you can meal prep. Um, because even as time passes, it doesn't like dry out like a white rice. Well, like, you know how right, like white rice will get like tinkly when you like put it oh, on yeah. a plate like when it's all that goes oh, like yeah. ting 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 on the plate and I like can't stand that I'm like that is like not no bueno so but like with the quinoa it is tastes the same on day one as it does on day three so I feel like if you're gonna be meal prepping a porridge throughout the week then quinoa porridge is for you all right uh, a couple more fun ones here um where do you weigh in on the salad for breakfast debate this is this is really a hot topic with a lot of people some people say nope it is criminal to have salad before noon other people yeah. are like a breakfast salad is legit where do you weigh in <laughs> oh my god i don't even know so i mean i love <laughs> salad like sal i feel like a salad is go-to i actually have amazing salad recipes on my blog too which are really popular i feel like i'm such a salad girl um, so I feel like part of me is like, yes, to breakfast salads, but I also understand that it's kind of like a lunch thing. Like it's not really breakfast, is it? It's, yeah, <laughs> it's not. See, so like the way that, and, and look, I mean, I do, I love a good salad too. A day does not go yeah. by where I don't enjoy one. However, I think that you have two opportunities to have a salad <laughs> later on in the day. But yeah. you only get one breakfast. Man, so make just the put most it in your it. smoothie. Like put like put spinach in your smoothie. Like if you're gonna have salad, just make a smoothie out of it. Don't Thank just you. eat a salad. Thank <laughs> Save you. that for lunch. <laughs> I think that yes, I like where your head's at. Just yeah. make the salad smoothie and yeah. suddenly it's breakfast. Have and it with a cup breakfast. of coffee. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about, as we close up here, let's talk about Vegan Afternoon with Two Spoons, your new YouTube mm. series. So uh, we've been talking a lot about breakfast. Let's go ahead and shift over into the afternoon now. Talk to us about yeah. Vegan Afternoon with Two Spoons. Okay, so this is a project that I've been working on. I launched Vegan Afternoon on you Vegan Afternoon with Two Spoons on YouTube in December. So it's just a few months old, but it is my cooking show. So I invite you into my kitchen. 
We cook so many dishes. It is so much fun. The first episode I ever did was a full Christmas dinner menu. Um, it really took off. Um, I created it for the social, which is a big national in Toronto. So I got to kind of share it like on a like a more like um, like a countrywide perspective because it was so popular. Um, and I'm just having so much fun cooking in the kitchen with you guys. I feel like it's a really nice way to kind of show first of all, that all that prep work, you know, what I look like when I'm cooking it in the kitchen. So I make it really easy to follow along. But it's also really fun, because it's like you're cooking with me in the kitchen. Um, so you get to see like my personality and all the mistakes that I make, because I make a lot of mistakes, um, and how I um, fix those mistakes. Uh, and so it's a lot of fun. I also have my husband come and join me. Um, we do a Mitch in the Kitchen episode every season and it is so much fun because he does not know how to cook like and it's so funny to watch him cook my recipes and we cook them together and he's just like a deer in headlights and it's just hilarious to watch so I highly recommend that you go check it out we all have our strengths you know I'm sure that he's <laughs> exactly. very good with a lot of other things right literally I literally said that in my introduction of the first episode I was like he's a great dad he's a great husband he's so kind like he's I was like, but he doesn't know how to cook at all. <laughs> the best thing he makes me, I always say, is tea. Like, he makes a mean tea, but apart from that, <laughs> he doesn't know how to Baby cook. Baby steps. Baby yeah. steps, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, look, I feel like I could talk to you, Hannah, forever. Um, this has just been a lot of fun. What I would love to do is to invite you back to come back on that. sometime soon and we'll just continue mm. the discussion. We talked a little bit about breakfast today. So maybe we do move into lunch. Maybe we do talk yes. a little bit more about the vegan afternoon with two spoons. Oh yes. Yeah. And that's kind of my spin on vegan afternoon is like, I think it's so easy to eat vegan for breakfast. Um, but we don't really think about, you know, incorporating that, like how we can incorporate into dinner and lunch. And I think people feel like it's more of a challenge, but I want to prove that it's not a challenge. Like you, there's so many ways that you can veganize your favorite dishes. So yeah, mm. come join me for vegan afternoon. <laughs> you know what? And with that tease, let me tease to that next episode. You talk about salad for breakfast, but yeah. how do you weigh in on something like a quinoa porridge for lunch? Ooh, I mean, I'm all about a savory breakfast meal. Like I could eat, din I could eat right. breakfast for dinner too. Like a good just a tofu scramble for dinner is awesome. So I actually am recipe developing right now a savory porridge using steel cut oats, but I could definitely substitute mm. it with quinoa um, because I think that there's way more opportunity for us to eat savory uh, for breakfast. That's why when you said the salad thing, I was like, mm, could I, would I, should I? I think that there's something there. I think people are basically saying they want more savory in the morning. <laughs> well, if you need a taste tester, you just go ahead and send that my way and I will yeah. give you that okay, feedback. you got it. You've got it. <laughs> All right. Rock on. All right. Here's the deal. We have links to everything in the show description and in the episode notes. We've got links to the website. We've got links to the app. We've got links to the cookbook. We've got links to the courses. And of course, the YouTube channel, Vegan Afternoon with Two Spoons. Hannah Sundarani, you are just a treat and a treasure. And it has been just marvelous to spend this time with you. Oh my gosh, this was so fun. I would love to come back. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And you're such a good interviewer. And you're a good cook, <laughs> so it all works, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> resilience. She absolutely personifies resilience. 
Love that. Love that story. Love her ideas. Gonna have some amazing breakfasts in the near future. I will tell you that much right now. But I want to go back to IBS for a little bit. Wanted to share some more stats with you that were actually put together by the Canadian Digestive Health Foundation. And I guess because IBS is kind of one of those conditions that not a lot of people talk about because, well, what happens to them? You kind of overlook this. A lot of us do. But here's what it's actually like for a patient with IBS in case you are not one of them. This is what they're going through. This is why we really, everyone should be striving together to help them. More than 70% of IBS patients say that their symptoms interfere with their everyday life and nearly half report having to miss time from work or days from school because of IBS. So that's just one stat there from the Canadian Digestive Health Foundation, but they listed so many more, including more than half of IBS patients saying that they're tired, they're fatigued a lot. 54% of patients said that. And up to 60% say IBS has also taken a toll on their mental health, and it fills them with feelings of depression and anxiety. And then there's also feeling it in the wallet. It's expensive. Here in the U.S., each patient with IBS will cough up more than $2,000 every single year just to treat their symptoms. But perhaps the biggest stat of all, this is the one that really stuck with me. One out of every four people with IBS say that they would give up 25% of the time they have left alive to be able to live symptom-free. Think about that. Think about that. They are essentially saying that they would rather die then continue to live the way that they are right now. Continue to live with the toll that IBS is exacting on their body. But Hannah is proof that more often than not, you do not have to make that choice. You don't have to make it a life or death decision because this is one of those sweet, sweet instances where for a lot of people, you can absolutely have your cake and eat it too. And you can do it with two spoons. Two spoons. The extra one, it's kind of like that dessert that's so good that you just want to share it with someone. So in this case, you share your story. You share what you have learned with someone else who is suffering. And you inspire them to make changes. And once they do, then they too have this healthy cake and two spoons to carry it forward with them in their new, healthier life. And then that cycle just continues as they sit down with two spoons with another person who is in the dark and they bring them to the healthier light and so on and so on and so on. And that is how we make the world a healthier place. So I wonder, what is something that you have overcome? If it's not IBS, we've all had our challenges. What is your most resilient moment? Think about that.
think about what that moment is and remember it. Remember that for the next time that life puts an obstacle in your way. Remember that so you can find a path around it, chart a course toward that healthier future. And you know, there are so many people who have faced challenges with their health, including so many who have faced challenges, particularly with their heart. Talking about heart disease here, the leading cause of death, but up to 80% of heart disease cases are preventable. And so I am thrilled to help to be able to lay out the roadmap for your heart on July 12th in New York City. It's going to be a big night, the most heart healthy night of your life. Rip Esselstyn will be there. Dr. Neil Barnard will be there. Dr. Robert Osfeld, he will be there as well as we give you the tips, the information you need to make your heart the healthiest that it possibly can be. And here's why I've assembled this trio. And by the way, more guests to come. But here's why I'm starting with these three. Because if you've seen the Game Changers, you know Rip's work with the New York Fire Department. Taking that group and bringing their blood pressure down. In that high-stress job, still able to bring their blood pressure down. And their cholesterol as well. Getting their hearts beating back in order. We need them to be as healthy as they possibly can be so they can all help to keep us safe, right? So Rip has been a master in doing that. And of course, with his Plant Strong brand, expanding that literally across the United States and around the world. And then Dr. Robert Osfeld, one of the most respected cardiologists in the entire country. He is leading a charge against heart disease from a nutrition perspective and all about cutting out the stuff that clogs your arteries before he has to cut you open to unclog them. Preventative medicine. Proof that food is medicine. And of course, Dr. Neil Barnard. This is a man who has thrown himself into nutrition studies for decades and is one of the most respected and read and revered doctors in medicine. So we're all getting together on July 12th in New York City for the most heart healthy night of your life. And we would love for you to join us. PCRM.org slash events to get your tickets or click that link in the episode notes. We will be at the Museum of the City of New York for a fantastic, wonderful evening filled with inspiration, filled with knowledge. And yeah, with food, because food is medicine and the most delicious medicine ever, my friends. PCRM.org slash events or click that link in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Hannah Sundarani from Two Spoons for being here and inspiring us and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant -based.